And in speaking of not knowing what's coming your way, uh, we've got Pete Wyatt with us today. You never know what he's going to tell us about, what he's ran into in his career. If you don't know Pete, Pete worked for us for a long time. We're going to dive into his career today and and hear some stories of his adventures across Tennessee and, and uh, I'll remind him it's a family-friendly show, right? And <laughs> He's so introverted, I don't know how we'll ever get him to just talk, but we'll do our best. You know, 83, you said you started? 83. In Unicoi County as a wildlife officer, and then I uh, actually retired as a manager for which uh, if you're in non-game or uh, just wildlife, uh, they don't really have a name for you. Some of my employees have a name for me, but yes. <laughs> the wildlife czar. Czar, yes. East Tennessee, was. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that was an experiment in itself. You were talking about what my legacy that I left. I, mm -hmm. I think that several of the people that work for me told me that they've gotten off their blood pressure medicine since I retired. So <laughs> maybe that's true, I don't know. But it, it was a great run, and I really enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. There is life after the agency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's funny, the stories you hear and the adventures you take uh, working out in the woods. And I know you've got plenty of stories, which you've mentioned in your book, and it's in, those stories are in there. And when I was three years old, I got bit by a dog that had rabies. Not that that has anything to do with this. <laughs> but later on in life, I found out when we started doing uh, bat work and we had to have the rabies preventative shots, I broke out in hives, the second one they gave me. The CDC down there wanted to study my blood, but that, that's another story altogether. <laughs> The award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. We're glad you're tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. we got a fun show for you today. We are at the John Severe Hunter Education Center uh, right outside Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm excited to be here with Matt Cameron helping co-host. Uh, he's going to be with me for a few shows. Matt, thanks for having us up here. Always glad to have you back in East Tennessee, brother. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. I uh, always love coming up to this area. Uh, grew up southeast Tennessee, and it's always good to get back uh, on this side of the plateau. So, Rocky Top country. Baby. Yeah, Rocky Top. Rocky Top will always be. Hey, um, uh, Wildcast is on the radio, if you don't already know that, and we appreciate our radio partners, and I wanted to highlight WOKI today, WOKI News Talk 98.7 in Knoxville. Uh, we're on there on Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoons, 1.30 to 2, and uh, we really appreciate our radio partners, especially uh, News Talk 98.7. You're on that station uh, ever so often, right, Matt? Yeah, once a month I get the great privilege of going on the Bob Yarbrough show and, and talking all things wildlife with him, and it's it's a, a wonderful segment. Uh, a lot of great uh, listeners, I guess, um, here in East Tennessee, and uh, get a lot of interesting questions from the public. So, yeah, we appreciate the time that WOKI gives us. Yeah, awesome. I, I always enjoy listening to those shows. I don't ever catch them live, but I catch them after the fact sometimes. On He'll post it on Twitter or something, and it's fun to listen to those conversations. You get some pretty oh my funny calls. It's, it, it, at first, it... I was nervous about it, taking live calls. You just have no idea what that person's going to ask, but I've grown to enjoy it and realize you don't always have the correct answer. Um, you, you don't make up stuff, but you uh, you get them the answer later or whatever, so it doesn't intimidate me as bad as it used to. Well, yeah, and in speaking of not knowing what's coming your way, uh, we've got Pete Wyatt with us today. You never know what he's going to 
tell us about what he's ran into in his career. If you don't know Pete, Pete worked for us for a long time, and we're going to dive into his career today and and hear some stories of his adventures across Tennessee and and uh, remind him it's a family friendly show, right? And <laughs> he's so introverted. I don't know how we'll ever get him to just talk, but we'll do our best. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Pete, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the offer. Um, your, your career with the agency is uh, uh, known by many. Uh, I hear your name, and there's all kinds of fun stories around it, and we're looking forward to this conversation today and uh, and just learning more about you. Uh, so let's jump in and, and meet Pete. So tell us a bit about yourself and kind of how you how you became uh, got to your career and growing up in the outdoors and that kind of thing. Well, I was born and, and raised in, not, in Concord, Tennessee, on my birth certificate it says concord and you don't hear that town mentioned very often now but uh <clears throat> i was raised in west knoxville and on a little farm five acre farm we had cows and pigs and chickens and and everything that went with it and had some woods that i spent most of my time in the woods raking over leaves looking for creatures and mm. critters and my mother would say that you know that that if she was looking for me they'd come back in the woods and uh when I was three years old, I got bit by a dog that had rabies. Not that that has anything to do with this. <laughs> but later on in life, I found out when we started doing uh, bat work and we had to have the rabies uh, shots, the preventative shots, uh, I broke out in hives, the second one they gave me. And the reason was because my titer was higher than that it, that they'd ever seen. And the CDC down there wanted to study my blood. But that, that's another story altogether. But, but I, I was I was raised in the outdoors. My dad was an avid, avid fisherman. And he rabbit hunted and squirrel hunted. We didn't have deer then, really, mm. to speak of, in East Tennessee. But uh, I enjoyed squirrel hunting. That's That really was a passion for a long time. And um, my first job with TWRA was uh, in 1982 as a part-time boating officer at the World's Fair. Uh-huh. And there were six of us, and uh, all six of us retired with from TWRA with over 30 years uh, in of, in the career. I think Richard Kirk was the last one to go. I don't know if he needed the money or he just liked the power. I think it was the power. <laughs> but anyway, we uh, after that, then I got a job in Unicoi County as a wildlife officer, and that's where the majority of the stories in my books are coming from is the Unicoi County years. It was a decade up there. Mm. And then I uh, actually retired as a manager for, which uh, if I was in law enforcement, they call them majors. But if you're in non-game or uh, just wildlife, uh, they don't really have a name for you except manager for. Manager, but, yeah. Except some, some of my employees have a name for me. But yes. <laughs> you preferred the wildlife czar. Czar, yes. East Tennessee, was. Okay. Yeah, that, that was... It was a, an experiment in itself, but by the way, uh, you were talking about what my legacy that I left. I, th mm -hmm. I think that several of the people that worked for me told me that, that, that they've gotten off their blood pressure medicine since I retired. <laughs> maybe maybe that's true. I don't know. But it, it was a great run, and I really enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. I get to still have contact with uh, a lot of the people that have retired from TWRA, and there is life after the agency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's funny the stories you hear and the adventures you take uh, working out in the woods, and I know you've got plenty of stories which you've mentioned in your book, and it's in those stories are in there, and you got uh, coming out with a third volume here pretty soon. Hopefully, right? yes, by Thanksgiving or December, sometime there. Yeah, 
tell our folks listening and watching about your book. We, Jason and I can't hardly pronounce part of the title, so you may have <laughs> oh. to read it for us. Well, I'll read it for you. The, uh, it's very simple. It's, it's the same title except for the very last four letters there. But it's an Appalachian gamekeeper soliloquy of humorous tales. And there's a colon there. So that's the main title. And then it's selected game warden stories of people and places of Upper East Tennessee. And volume one, that's volume one. And the picture on the on volume one is an old man that's standing on the Chestoa Bridge uh, trussel at, um, at Uneka Springs in Unicoi County. And he's got the day's catch. It came off a 1904 postcard. Mm. Copyright is isn't in effect here because it's over 100 years old. And then volume two, a long time ago, people used to get dressed up when they got pictures of their game animals that they killed. And this is a squirrel hunter in his uh, suit and tie. I thought that was kind of cool. And then volume three will have a picture of a 1937 Ford, uh, Ford pickup truck with a dog box on it. And they're selling rabbit dogs, squirrel dogs, fox uh, hounds. No bear dogs, but anyway, it's uh, all these have a uh, sort of a Tennessee theme to it, and um, uh, right in the dialect of the local dialect, and and one of the things that I th sort of have a little bit of a sadness about is that with every generation that goes through in Tennessee, we lose that language, mm. we lose our dialect of East Tennessee primarily. And in the back is a glossary of what those words mean. So there's some words in there. If I told you there was a sow coon coming, what do you think that is? It's quiz time. Mm, female raccoon. Mm -hmm, yeah. Well, that's what you think. But in Upper East Tennessee and up around Johnson County, Carter County, and even into Unicoi, the sow coon is a real hard thunderstorm. <laughs> Who'd have thought? I don't know where it comes from, but but that's just it's it'll be in volume three. I didn't put it in volume one or two. Because it's not not I didn't use it in the story, but anyway, so it's there's a glossary in there, and then there's other things and the dedications and the acknowledgments and and all that's in the book and and uh, <clears throat> these stories have been in my head for a long time, and during COVID, I just sat down and wrote a bunch of them down, and turned out to be about two volumes worth, and uh, with all the uh, learning curve that I had to do to do the uh, formatting and. And what's supposed to go in a nonfiction book, it's a, it's a real learning experience. Hmm. Not the hardest thing I've ever done. So I want to bring up the publishing company name. Sure. It's a Polecat Press. You see that our guest dons a cap with a Polecat uh -huh. on yep, it. And yep. he asked me earlier if he stunk. And I'm like, <laughs> is this a trick question? I'm like, I don't want to offend Pete. You know? What are you asking? And I couldn't think much about it. You know, But sitting next to him, I'm picking up a, <laughs> a little bit of a Polecat odor now. So do you want to talk about that? Well, yesterday morning, which was Sunday morning, I uh, let my dogs out like I usually do right about daylight. And it was 4.30 a.m. It was way before daylight. But... They quickly went out in the yard and began a war with a one little black and white uh, kitty out there that was actually a skunk. And they, they, I don't know if they won or lost. The skunk went back up under the porch at the house, and then the dogs are still stinking. But I did go to Walmart, and the guy in Walmart looked at me kind of funny, and I said, uh, do I smell bad? And he said, yes, sir, you do. <laughs> and I, and I said, he said, you smell like a skunk. And I said, well, I, I got sprayed this morning. So anyway... It'll wear off. <laughs> what What's the trick? Just time to get the yeah, time. Yeah, you know, it's like like a dead deer. You know, you don't have to move it out of the road. It'll 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 
It'll go away. <laughs> Buzzards get it. Coyotes will eat it. Well, so uh, I guess I didn't realize, but so COVID's when you started writing these uh, these stories. So they are pretty much they're hot off the press. Oh, these yeah, these books are yeah. are new. I thought I thought you started writing soon after your career and, and to retirement, but uh, so yeah, so. Uh, they haven't been out there very long, so go get you if you're listening and watching. Go get go get you one. How, a, how can somebody it's on buy Amazon? One? Well, Amazon. if I want to buy them off Amazon, I get about half the money. But uh, <laughs> it's R L Pete Wyatt. You can just search that R L Pete Wyatt on Amazon, and they'll come up. Uh, or if in the back of the book, uh, if you have access, I've donated it to the library in Jefferson City. But in the back of the book, it gives my address that you can order them from and uh, give shipping costs and then I can sign them for you. But that's how you kind of get them. I, I thought Matt would offer to buy about two cases of them and leave them at the regional office, but he hadn't done that yet. Hmm. I bought my two copies. I know you did. <laughs> you know, you did. And look, good. mine is personally autographed yes. with a message from Pete directed to me. And yeah. Pete did say if you buy a copy and you request an autograph, he will sign the book for you. So yeah. Yeah. I awesome. encourage you awesome. to take advantage of that now you do bear a striking resemblance to this man on the cover is this any relation well, at least i knew i i i, I did <laughs> i used to sell uh old postcard reprints eight 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 and a half by ten you know for people to decorate their homes with especially log cabins and stuff like that and uh there was a guy that was on i was had a booth up at the apple festival in unicorn county and, and they told me that that was their great-grandfather and had I had any sense at all, I would have written down the name and the contact information, but I didn't think that it would, I would ever have it on the cover of a book. Hmm. So could you share a story or two? Uh, I know you want people to buy the book, but could you share one or two that sticks out in your mind uh, that think folks would enjoy? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Matt, Matt brought it up about taking a live phone call. Oh, Okay, I just had to think about who the audience is. Okay. Uh, PG. That's one of the things about working for the Wildlife Resources Agency. Uh, we get phone calls at the regional offices. And uh, when I was working in Region 2 for a couple of years, uh, Jane Johnson said, Pete, uh, Cindy from down in budget says that there's a woman online, too. And if you could take the call, she's really uh, frantic about what's going on down there. And it was at Thompson Station, as a matter of fact. Mm. And that's going to be in volume three, the story is. Okay. But it preview is, here. Yeah, preview and a segue here. But anyway, it was uh, this lady. I picked up the phone, and I said, this is Pete White. May I help you? And uh, she said, yes, this is Suzanne Williams. I live down in Thompson Station. And she said, my husband was out mowing the yard this morning. It's about this time of year. Uh-huh. And said, there was something fell out of a tree, big walnut tree in her yard, and it got down in his shirt, and it bit him and scratched him all in his shirt and everything. And he finally got it out and put it in the jar, and now it's in this jar, and it's hissing and striking at him. And we don't know what it is. And I said, well, is it green and about the size of a cigar? In diameter, and does it have these big projections coming out on it like horns? Yeah, that's it. What is that? And I said, well, it's called a hickory horn devil. It's a caterpillar from the royal walnut moth. And the royal walnut moth caterpillars eat hickory leaves and oak leaves and walnut leaves. And they make a beautiful, a beautiful moth. Well, is it poison? And I said, no, ma'am. And you could hear her husband in the background, Orville, I think was his name. Hmm. He said, ask him if it's poison. And she said, he said it wasn't poison. 
And he said, well, ask him if it can hurt you because I'm scratched up and everything. And I said, well, what he needs to do is just put some antibiotic cream on there, and it'll be all right. It, it's just like being briar scratched or something. Well, what, what is, why does it strike at you? And I said, well, it's mimicking a snake, but it's not a snake. Are you sure it ain't no snake? And I said, no, it's a caterpillar. And then he kept saying, hey, you sure that thing won't hurt you? And I said, no, it won't hurt him. Tell him that it, it's not going to hurt him. It's just a caterpillar. Well, it's big. I said, I know it. It is big, and it's very unique looking, but it will not hurt you. So then she said, are you sure it ain't poison? And I said, no, ma'am, it is not poison, but it can kill you. <laughs> and then she said, Orville, he said it can kill you. And Orville says, well, how can it kill you? And I said, tell him if he tries to swallow it, it could get hung in his throat and he could suffocate and die. Well, who in the world would try to swallow such a thing? And I said, I don't know, but that's the way I think it could kill you. So that was the end of that conversation. But but we get used to get, you know, get questions of all ilk that you can imagine. And lots of back in the olden days, when I first started as a wildlife officer, we had hunting guides that had our personal phone numbers in them. Mm. And so a, uh, a third shift at a furniture company in Marstown, or third shift at a, a some kind of a of a company maybe in Johnson City, they would sit around at their break and they would sit around asking each other questions about different things and. Uh, You'd be surprised what they would call you at 2.30 in the morning and ask you, awaken you from a sleep, and ask you these silly questions. But we felt obligated, I guess, to answer them at the time, and it was a great job. Yeah. Well, it's not that, too, it's not that far back. Uh, you know, 83, you said, or 82, you started? 83, uh, full-time. But you know, there was times where uh, it was the home phone that the the officer got the call, and sometimes the wife took Absolutely, the call and, yeah. and had to track down the officer. You didn't have the, the cell phones and no. as easy access as you do today. But, uh, you yeah, know, that's just a taste of what, what's in these books, Matt, and I know you're thumbing through it there, but uh, – uh, you've read one and two. What, what's your take on on the on the first two volumes there? Or at least you have them. I'm sure you've read most of it. Yeah, I've read most of volume one. And and Pete is he's one of the best storytellers we've ever had in the agency. There there are other ones too that don't have the penmanship that Pete has to sit down and write their stories. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm so grateful that he's taken time to do this. Uh, a lot of it is for the historic value. He's a great historian, but it's entertaining. Yeah. And every story is going to give you, you know, knee slapping type humor. <laughs> and it just one thing I wanted to throw out here, uh, Bill Smith is another good storyteller that we have that recently retired with the agency. Hopefully we'll get him on a podcast one of these days. But yeah. yeah. Both of them are just very charismatic and you, you love to sit down and listen to them. They can go for hours with stuff, but he, he quotes Bill Smith in here about something, and I spent about 10 years as a field wildlife officer myself, so I can relate to a lot of these situations, especially being lied to as a game warden. Mm. And I was raised in a yeah. Baptist Christian home that you took people at their word and you believed them. So when I became a lawman, I was very naive, and it was hard for me to deal with people lying to me because I wanted to believe people when they told me something that it was mm. true. Yeah. But here's a good quote from Bill Smith. Pete says, my good friend, W.A. Bill Smith jokingly says that when a baby is born in Upper East Tennessee, the daddy holds the baby close and whispers, lie to the game warden, lie to the game warden. <laughs> this is repeated until post-adolescence. 
Is it possible that some of these folks are genetically predisposed to oppositional defiant disorder? And the, the, that's, that's so much truth in that statement. I've had people look at me in the eye and swear on their mama's grave, swear to God, swear to Jesus. I'm telling you the truth. And you, you cut them some slack. You try to, okay, benefit of the doubt. And then you find out later that they lied to you. You talk about getting in your crawl. It did mine. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on any? Well, as I said there about the, uh, the dedication there, that I dedicated the book to all the game wardens that have ever taken the oath and put on a badge because they they have been lied to mm. any any every game warden that's ever been lied to has pinned the badge and taken the oath and so if you talk to any retired wildlife officer or any current wildlife officer that's the first thing they'll tell you is that people lie and in in volume two i put a, a photograph in there that was back in the back it's kind of back just at the last photograph in there whether or not you can see that or not but it's a little Little boy holding, looks like a baby, a 16-gauge single-barrel shotgun. He may be going out to go squirrel hunting, and his daddy says, Remember, son, lie to the game warden. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a good example of Wayne Rich, another not-so-long-ago retired wildlife officer that Pete knows very well. I worked with Wayne on a case one time, and we were dealing with a certain individual in Jefferson County. We had his criminal background, all of his hunting and fishing violations printed off, and we went to talk to him. and Everything we ask him, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. That was like his 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 padded answer for everything. Pleading the fifth, more or less. Yeah, Wayne yeah. said Wayne had a memory like an elephant. Probably still does. <laughs> He's like, oh, 1993. You're down there on the Holston River. I caught you fishing without a license. I wrote you a ticket. I don't know what you're talking about. Wayne's like, uh, I was there for that one, so <laughs> I know for a fact you're lying to me. And that's just a great example of people. I don't know if it's a defense mechanism that's innate. To lie, to yeah. try to get out of trouble, or if it's just because we wear the gun and badge and we're game wardens that they want to lie to us. Well, let me tell you a Wayne Rich story. <laughs> Wayne Wayne came over. He was sent over when I first got to Unicode County in 1983. And uh, I don't know, the, the supervisor that we had, I guess he thought that I needed a little bit of tutelage over there. But I was supposed to go give a talk to the Unicode County Coon Club. And uh, it was one of my first public speakings that I did over there. Mm -hmm. and, okay. So they sent Wayne over because Wayne had experience talking to coon clubs. So we go in there, and it's kind of a hostile environment to begin with. We get swarmed and all, and we get several people asking us questions at the same time. You have to learn that skill. <coughs> how do you how you can answer three questions from three different people on three different topics you know so that's that's a skill that you that you learn but anyway we go in and we they finally call the meeting to order and and Wayne Rich gets up and he says my name is Wayne Rich some of you may have heard of me and some of you may have not and the first thing i'm going to do is get down on your level <laughs> And there I am sitting there. That's that's that was my introduction, and I get to get up and and announce, you know, but talk to them. But okay, I'm down on your level. Uh, now, so it's, <laughs> anyway, it was fun to be a, a rural, have a rural county, very rural county, and in Unicoi County was at the time had fifteen thousand people in it. It was thirty miles long and fifteen miles wide, and half of it was U.S. Forest Service lands. And so, half of the activity that takes place in my books, half of the the stages set, is on government land, government land. 
and you have to know how to pronounce that. There's a story in this volume, too, that anybody knows Don Crawford. Mm. You should buy the book just for that one story. <laughs> I was I was his field training officer. <laughs> hey, Don, it's in our direct chain yes, of command that's now. Right. He is, yeah. So, but, I, but I did send him the draft, and, and he approved it to go in there. <laughs> I'm glad he did. It's a pretty good story. We'll hold that one for the book. Y'all need yeah. to buy the book yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. that story. <laughs> well, not only did you have it, uh, many adventures in the woods and, and working as an officer and as a biologist, but cooking. You have a passion for cooking. Uh, and I think the first time I met you or came across you was at a, at a BOW event or something like mm. that where you're doing some Dutch oven cooking. So talk a little bit about that passion and how that came about. Well, it's uh, Dutch oven cooking. It, it was always fascinating to me. I mean, my mother cooked in cast iron and she had an old Dutch oven that was made for the, for the oven. It, mm to put in an, an electric oven or a wood stove oven and didn't have legs on the bottom of it. And, and the Dutch oven cooking that I do, I, I like to cook in what's called spider scale. It's actually the wildlife agency published a little thin cookbook with some of my recipes in there. Right. And on the front cover, it's, it's my spider collection, what's called a spider uh, Dutch oven. It has a handle on it, just like a regular skillet, but then it has a lid on it that has a little groove in it that, uh, uh, not John Severe, Paul Revere, Paul mm -hmm. Revere, not John Severe. But anyway, Paul Revere was uh, a, a silversmith, I think, but he actually uh, invented the lid that goes on these, these skillets. And they used to cook on the hearth. And it goes back to the early 1700s, late 1600s. And they're called Dutch ovens because the, the Dutch used to trade with, uh, with people with these ovens. They made them in all around the world, even South Africa. There's Dutch ovens in South Africa that are a little different than what we have in America. But anyway, you use coals. Mm -hmm. you, you don't use uh, any electricity, and the charcoal is perfect for that. And so during the BOW, the, the uh, ooh, almost made another bad, anyway, becoming an outdoor woman. <laughs> uh, we I used to teach that cooking class for many years yeah yeah and uh you can cook anything in a dutch oven that you can cook uh you know on the stove essentially we even made ice cream here one time in a dutch oven we used an aluminum dutch oven and we put uh, ice in a in a bucket and we just rolled the bucket around in a circle till we made ice cream in one so you can even make ice cream without fire wow but anyway it's uh that that little book, I don't know if it's still available through the agency, but it's usually free if you write or call. We need to see if we can get another run of those yeah. published because that is one of the most popular things I've ever laid on the table. And, and we keep a few put back just because they got gone so quickly Yeah, for special occasions. Yeah, my, my specialty is uh, is old-fashioned bread pudding in the Dutch oven, and, and uh, it's very popular. And then also I make a, a really killer uh, coconut macaroon cake in a Dutch oven. You don't have to just cook cobblers in there. But you can um, bake and broil and fry. You can do pizzas in there. So it's it's very versatile. You can do a lot of things with Dutch ovens. And that's that's sort of what I, I did. Well, I, I've been thinking about that. I thought I think it would be cool to learn how to cook over fire like that. I love camping and cooking over the fire. But uh, that's my next purchase is, uh, is a Dutch oven with, you know, where you put the coals on the top and, and – explore that experiment you know because you don't know the temp you don't know what really what your temperature is do you and you yeah. don't know yeah. how long to leave it in there it's kind of a no you you can get it you can it's a science yeah it's also an art but mm -hmm. but you can yeah you can gauge your temperature very 
easily with the number of coals you put on. And it has to do with the diameter of the oven, you know, maybe one from eight inches up to 16 inches. Right, right. The number of coals you put on the top, the number of coals you put around the bottom, and the, the heat comes up. And I, I taught some classes at Washington College Academy, which is up uh, in uh, Green slash Washington County up there. And Washington Ca uh, College Academy was founded in 1780. And so the year that they founded that college, they were probably cooking with Dutch ovens there. Mm. Wow. I'll have to take one of those classes. <laughs> Indeed. Food just tastes better when it comes out of something like that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, Pete, this has been fun. I, we've learned a lot, heard some good stories. Look forward to you know, learning more from the books. Appreciate you uh, letting us come. or appreciate you joining us here in this, this setting. And it's been fun to talk. Well, I've, I've had a good time. Yeah. Two, two people that I know were special to Pete that are no longer with us, um, Ken Ripley and Gary McWhorter. You got to work with both of them. Can you say a quick word about those men? Well, <clears throat> they left They left here way too early, and both of them were um, very phenomenal people. They were just great human beings, and uh, I dedicated the book to them. And then another one that was Steve Bowman, who worked with the U.S. Forest Service. And Steve died in a helicopter crash, and... Uh, and uh, Anyway, they, they were just good folks, and I felt like that I needed to dedicate it to them. We appreciate that, and we're glad to have another good agency person on the show with us today. So you've been a, a blessing and an inspiration to us all, Pete. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Matt, for lining this up. Uh, thank you guys for watching, for listening. Uh, thanks again, Pete. And uh, go check out his book, Amazon, or if you get a copy, there's ways to contact him there. And uh, Go check it out. Go get you a copy. Tell us one more time to contact you directly to get them, where yeah, you make more money. Well, uh, okay, Matt. You can call me at 865-898-7740, and uh, then I'll... If you're not trying to extend my car warranty or sell me burial insurance or something like that, I'll talk to you. There you go. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.